one, two, three. Um, you've got your little handout there. We've defined Christian worship as the sincere satisfaction in God that displays His worth. When we talk about worship, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that we find God to be so satisfying, so overwhelming in who He is and what He's done for us in our hearts that we display that, we express that. That's what worship is. And um, we've gone over this a few times, but just as a reminder, worship one, two, three, where we get that name from, it's to uh, clarify that worship has one object, that's God. It has two contexts or environments that we worship in, uh, the gathering, which is when we come here as Christians, and the scattering, or when we go outside of those doors. So that's a fancy way of saying all of life is worship. Every second of every day should be worship, not only when you're in the church building. There's also three audiences of worship. One of the most amazing things is that God looks down and He sees our worship. Um, some of the writers of Scripture talk about it as a sweet aroma to God. God smells your worship, and it smells good to Him. Um, also, one another. We see how one another worship, and that tells us about how awesome, how good God is. And also others, unbelievers, they view our worship. Um, but that's where we get the name Worship123. We're still in uh, the first context here, the gathering and um, last week we talked about, as Christians, why do we gather? And we came up with uh, this definition that I think will help us kind of navigate these waters or understand why we are here, why we gather. We gather to exalt Christ for the purpose of qu- equipping saints for ministry and mission for the glory of God. Everything that we do here, everything that we come together to do on Sundays, I hope that's the purpose. I hope that's what we're doing. We're exalting Christ. We're equipping you, people, children of God, to be on ministry, to be on mission, and to do that for God's glory. That's what I think this is all about. And uh, we talked about Hebrews 10, where we got that from. And we considered this challenge, how to stir up one another in love. How do we stir up one another in love? That's why we're here And one of the most general ways that we do that, we talked about at the end, was to exalt Christ. The more and more you exalt Christ in your life, and you say, this is how good, awesome Jesus is, the more others around you will be stirred up to love. So the more you exalt Christ in your life, the more you're stirring one another up in love. So how do we exalt Christ in the gathering? How do we preach the gospel? How do we speak the gospel? How how do we proclaim the gospel when we come here? So those are the particulars, the specifics that I want to unpack tonight. When we look at Scripture, how are we supposed to exalt Christ? How are we supposed to proclaim the gospel when we come here? So there are seven things. I'll give them to you right up front. Seven practices that we are to do in the gathering. When you look throughout Scripture, and we'll go through each of these. When we gather, these may seem familiar to you, uh, preaching, there there should be preaching, There should be singing, there should be praying, there should be community, and what I mean by that is like simply being with one another. Um, There should be service or serving, there should be giving, we should actually give financially, we should give with our time, our talents, Um, and the last thing is something called sacraments, 
or some the the I think Baptist term for it might be ordinances. But we're talking specifically in our circle, in our denomination, we're talking about the Lord's Supper and, we're, and, and baptism. Those are things that we do when we gather. So those are the seven categories of things that we should see. And all, and all of these things work to proclaim the gospel in the Sunday gathering. These are not simply a, th- a, a list of things that we should do because they're good to do. They all work specifically to exalt Jesus when we come here. So let's look at them all individually. Preaching. Well, it's pretty self-evident maybe what preaching is considering. I'm doing it right now. But one of the things you see as the church forms in in what is called the book of Acts um, is this. They devoted themselves, the new believers, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So what, what happened very naturally as the church forms out of the Jesus movement? Jesus does his thing. It's amazing. And then he ascends up into heaven. He sends down his spirit um, at a time called Pentecost. Um, some crazy stuff happens. And then uh, Peter preaches this really cool sermon. And people get saved. And one of the immediate responses to that is they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, We have the apostles' teaching preserved for us in this book. The writers of the New Testament are the apostles or their um, uh, compiled testimonies of the apostles. So uh, if that's what they did, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. One of the things we do as we devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings is we unpack this book. We try to understand what this means and how it applies to our life. That's why we do what we do for the majority of our Sunday gatherings, right? If you think about the most time that's spent in a Sunday gathering, usually it's on this book, on preaching. And that's because we see throughout Scripture that the church devoted, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. You also see this really cool verse in Colossians 3 where Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't just know it. Don't just know the gospel Don't just be able to recite it, but does it dwell in you richly? And he says one of the ways you do that, one of the ways the gospel works its way past just your head knowledge and into your heart, dwelling in you richly, is through teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So teaching and admonishment, this this half hour that we spend in God's word, is so that the word of Christ works its way into your heart. That's why we do this. So teaching is something that we ought to do when we gather. It's one of the ways that the word of Christ works its way into our hearts. And the other part of that verse that's very interesting, the second half concerns singing. So usually you can summarize a church service as, right, Christian karaoke, Christian lecture. Like that's kind of what happens. Like if you imagine you've never been to a church service before and you show up and everyone's just sitting there. They're not talking to one another, right? Just like, what is happening? I'll just sit here. They gave me this flap of paper with a bunch of words on it. Okay. And uh, everyone just stands up. Okay. And then there are words on the screen. A band appears. Maybe there's fog, lights, whatever. And everyone just starts singing these lines on the screen. Like, doesn't, that, that doesn't sound weird to us because we do it every week. But it looks a lot like karaoke. It's like, oh, this is a karaoke bar. That's where we're at. This is a Christian karaoke bar. Um, 
No, but when you, and then you have the preaching, right? So you can usually think of the church service as singing and preaching. Those are the two main things. And the reason that singing is so important is because that verse we just mentioned, not only does the word of Christ dwell in you richly through teaching and admonishment, but it does it through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So singing, along with teaching, is a practice that we do in the gathering to help the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So not only do we preach the gospel, we sing the gospel. And that's why it matters what songs we sing. Because like a song like, Oh, Praise the Name, right? It's just recounting the story of the gospel to music. And music, unlike just spoken word, has the ability to stir your heart. One-third of the Bible is poetry. And it's poetry because poetic verse has the ability to stir your heart, unlike just mere prose. There's a lot of reasons we sing. Uh, it helps our memory. It, it helps build community, right? You're all singing the same thing at the same time. And God has instituted it as a tool for us human beings to use to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So we sing the gospel. It's really important. Um, we're commanded to sing several times. We are commanded to sing. Jesus sang with his disciples. God sings over us. Singing is a really important part of the gathering. Um, I, I could go on and on about that, but um, there's other things that we're supposed to do. Third thing is praying. Another practice we see Christians doing um, when they gather in Scripture is pray. When, when Jesus was ministering on earth, um, his disciples came to him and asked, how should we pray? And we have this thing called the Lord's Prayer. In the verse from Acts that we cited previously, Acts 2.44-2.42, you see that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread, and the prayers. The prayers. They, they came together and prayed. It's one of the main things that they did. Um, if you read many of Paul's letters, um, Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians, um, the Thessalonians uh, letters, they all have these prayers where, where Paul is constantly saying, I'm praying for you. Thank you for praying for me. The church is a community of prayer. We should be a praying community. And guys, um, you have to practice prayer in some sense. Jesus actually taught people how to pray. Right? So, so uh, prayer is something that you might need to be taught. So maybe going to an older Christian, more mature Christian, and say, how should we pray? And that's why in the gathering we pray. Because I think as we gather and as we pray in services, we should be teaching one another how to pray and what to pray. That's why we pray when we come together. Now, for us, we usually use prayers as what? Transitions. <laughs> Got to get the band on stage somehow, so what better thing to do than pray? Right? Do you not notice this in church services, that that's the number one thing prayers use used for? It's, it's a shame, I think. I think when we just use prayer as a transition device for the Sunday gathering, we lose, we lose out on the blessing that prayer can be. So one of the things that we should do is pray together. Uh, that fourth thing was community. Um, as you see the church grow and grow in number, um, what they do is they simply gather to eat. They break bread in their homes. Um, Look at this passage and just, and just imagine this 
this community. Imagine if you were part of this community. And all who believed were together, they were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, not simply week by week, but day by day, they attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's, a, that's an amazing community. It's a community that's meeting together daily. They're meeting each other's financial um, physical needs, right? They're attending worship services together at the temple, and then they're taking that to their homes. They're breaking bread in their homes. They're eating together. They're praising God together, right? So one of the things that we should do as, as Christians is simply be together. They were together, had all things in common. Day by day, they, they were together. And I don't think every second of the time that they were together, there was this strict formal service that they were having, right? They were just being real with one another. They're actually enjoying one another's company. So uh, day by day, being a community with one another, I think that's something that serves uh, our worship. Seeing Christ and your brother and sister in Christ helps stirs in you the Christ uh, that you need to be and see. So the fifth thing was service. Um, We read from 1 Corinthians 12 a little bit earlier in that. He... um, Paul talks about how there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And this is very key. To each of them, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. Meaning your spiritual gift is not for you. Your spiritual gift is for other people in this room. So if you never gather to use your spiritual gift, then you're not using it in the way that it was designed to be used. It's for the common good. It's not for you. It's for the common good. I love what Paul writes to Timothy. He wrote this in uh, chapter 4. And he says, Do not neglect, he's writing to Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, Do not neglect the gift you have. It was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Guys, I promise you, you have a gift, a talent, ability that God has given you for other people in this room, to serve other people in this room and outside this room. And God is saying right now, do not neglect that. Do not neglect that ability, that gift that you have practice those things, immerse yourself in those things, and use it for the common good so that all may see your progress. So uh, we could go into a huge sermon on what spiritual gifts are, but just think about what you're passionate about. Think about if you could do anything in the world and not worry about a paycheck, you had all the time that you could, what is that and, and what does it do to serve people? I'm not talking about, you know, Fortnite or anything. I'm talking about what are you good at, that you're passionate about, that you're driven for, that you're serving one another for, right? Maybe you have the gift of generosity. Like you just love to pay for people's coffee and lunch. And every time you get paid, you want to see who you can bless. People have that gift. It's amazing. 
I, I like to be on the receiving end of that gift sometimes, right? But people have that gift. Maybe you have the gift of faith where like you just always believe in what God says. You don't, you're not a person of doubt. You just have this spiritual gift that you believe what God says. You trust in his promises. Someone needs to have that. Someone needs to hear from you that God is faithful. Someone needs to be encouraged by that. Maybe you just have the gift of encouragement. You know those people that are really nice that come up to you and just be like, yeah, Taylor. <laughs> I don't get compliments a lot, so it's hard to come up with one. Um, I'm just joking. Um, not really. But, you know, it's like someone comes up to you and you're like, man, I really like your shoes. That's so awesome. I don't know. I can't come up with a single... Obviously, here's the thing. I don't have the gift of encouragement because I can't come up with a single compliment. <clears throat> Winton, you look good today, man. You're doing a great job. I appreciate everything you do. Everyone give Winton a round of applause. See, some of you may have the gift of encouragement um, so that in my lacking for that gift, you can make up for it in the body of Christ. It's pretty basic. But maybe it's like a skill or talent you have. Um, Like, you know, I know Ben and Judd, they teach second grade, right? Right? That's awesome. I don't know if that's a skill or just, it is a skill. (laughs) It's a skill, right? I know Ethan, you help out with camera at 945. Jackson helps out with the camera. It's very complicated, right? The number one rule and only rule is don't fall asleep. So you guys are serving with your gifts and abilities. That's awesome. I know some of you girls work in the nursery, right? You watch some of my kids, at least I think. That's awesome. Think of some ways, right, as you gather on Sunday, not only are you consuming, but you're serving. Just think about those areas that you could fill. Anyway, um, do not neglect that gift you have. Do not neglect the opportunity to serve and practice it. That's so, so good. Uh, Number six is giving. We take some time in our services to actually give financially. Um, We see this throughout Acts. In the Acts 2 passage that we talked about, um, it's kind of crazy, this radical thing of they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. No one said, uh, uh, it's actually a word that Hudson just learned, mine. We don't know where he learned it, but he just one day started saying, mine. And it's like this devilish, like, mine. <laughs> uh, but none, nobody had that concept. Like, this is my personal property. They were just like sharing, radically sharing their possessions, and they had everything in common. And look at that last one in Acts 4.34. There was not a needy person among them. What would it look like if when the church gathered, they could say, there's not a needy person here because we are so generous. We are so loving and we're just providing for everyone. There's not a needy person among them. That's that's awesome. So one of the things we do is give. The last thing um, are sacraments. Uh, When Jesus was on earth, he, he, um, he gave us two specific commandments around uh, what we call sacraments or ordinances. In Luke twenty-two seventeen through 20, we see what is called the Lord's Supper. Jesus took the cup. He had given thanks. He said, take this. Divide it. They used one cup. Divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. And then this is the command. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What Jesus was doing is he was instituting this um, ordinance, this kind of rhythm, this routine, this habit for the church to do to remember what he has done. And notice that this is such an important, um, it's such an important characteristic of it. It, it. it has to do with your senses. You actually touch the bread, you drink the, whatever's in the cup, grape juice for us. Uh, you, you eat the bread, right? It's this sense of um, Christ is real to you. And, it, and it, it makes this remembrance of what Christ has done more tangible. And also there's the ordinance of baptism. When Jesus gave the great commission, Jesus says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things. So one of the things that Jesus commands us to do is to take the Lord's Supper. Another thing is to baptize people. We do those two things when we gather. We should practice those sacraments when we gather. Now, not every time that we gather, some denominations take the Lord's Supper or communion um, every time they're together. Uh, Baptist circles do it once a quarter for some reason. That's what we decided. Um, Baptisms in the early church was a a once-a-year thing that happened on Easter Sunday. Um, at least we see that for like the first hundred or so years. People actually had to go through like a two-year course, um, and then they would get baptized on Easter. We baptize, I think, twice a year, um, and we do have some sort of new members class and all that. But anyway, these are things that we should do when we gather. Preach, sing, pray, um, exercise community together, serve, give, and also the sacraments. So, so the question For all of us, as we look at these things, it's like, oh, this is nice to know. But what is my role in these things? You personally should be asking yourself the question, which of these practices I am supposed to be participating in that I'm not participating in? We can look at each of those things. Are you singing? Are you singing? It's a basic question. You're commanded to sing as a follower of Christ. When we come together, we've put together uh, songs to sing for a purpose. Are you singing? At the time of prayer, are you praying? Are you actually growing in relationship with one another? Are you serving in some capacity? Are you basically a consumer? Do you give? You know, I think one thing that we do on Sunday mornings that we don't do on Sunday nights is give. We don't have an opportunity to show the student ministry uh, being a group of generous people. One is students don't typically have a lot of money, but you guys do have a lot of time, and you have a lot of talent. And I think we can continue to um, be, a, be a student ministry that's defined by serving, and serving with our time. And also in the month of April, we're going to partner with Bread of Life. I want us to, to uh, do the canned food thing, bring as many canned foods, and I want our student ministry to be known as radically generous. So that's something we're going to do in April. I think we can, we can do better at showing giving as a practice in our gatherings on Sunday night. And also the sacraments. You know, um, 
Something that I want us to do uh, more routinely is take the Lord's Supper together. Like I said, the Lord's Supper is such an important thing that Jesus instituted because it's tied to whether or not we're remembering the gospel. It's such a clear, tangible thing for us to remember the gospel together. So tonight, that's what I wanted us to end with, is simply taking communion together. Um, It's not a huge, fancy thing.
sing that one.